This is the best damn podcast in the land. I'm your host, Brandon Morris. Welcome to the You Can Be Mo podcast. Uh, we got some special guests on tonight. Uh, we don't have our original show that was supposed to be going on with the Chicago edition. However, we do have my man, Chris Hill, in the building representing Chicago. Um, and then we also have a special guest who jumped on tonight, uh, one of my uh coaches that I got a chance to coach with. He gave me an opportunity uh to coach at the middle school level. Uh Dan Bushman joining us tonight. But I'm gonna let the fellas introduce themselves on their own because they do it better than I do. Shout out to everybody that's on the podcast tonight. Here we go. Corey Shoshelsic, assistant men's basketball coach. Thanks for having me on again, B. Greg Leach, varsity boys coach at Coach Bradford. Dan Bushman, uh, formerly coached Lincoln Middle School in Kenosha for the last for 16 years, and currently coaching in uh, MPS. Chris Hill, uh, currently UW Whitewater assistant men's basketball coach, uh, former Whitney Young grad from Chicago, Illinois, and also played at UWM from 01 to 06, Sweet 16, and second round tournament, baby. That's what I'm talking about. We got another Sweet 16er on here. Last week we had uh, Chris Hill's teammate, Joe Tucker, representing UWM. So now we, we got Chris Hill, the man that ran the show for the team, to, to kind of take them to the uh, Sweet 16. In my opinion, you know, the point guards are the most important guys. I know some of you guys are shooters like, like Corey and Greg and Dan, but it, it had to go through – Guys like me and Chris Hill. I'm just saying. Let me throw that out there. Um, but anyways, let's just jump right into it. I got, I got a question right off the bat um, uh, for Chris. Uh, so, Chris, what is it about basketball that just kept you going after high school? Because Obviously, the percentages of high school players going on to play at that next level, especially Division One, is not a high percentage. So what was it about basketball that, that took you to that next level? Uh, I think it was just the, the excitement of basketball. So I started playing at a young age, you know, uh, in Chicago, you know, growing up during the Michael Jordan era. You know, so the love of the game is just, you know, these buzz around our city. Uh, just growing up as a kid, and, you know, on the south side of Chicago. And so my dad played, so he used to take me to the gym as a kid. And, you know, we watched Mike, you know, give out all these buckets to go. Uh, <laughs> so I just think the excitement of the game and my love for it and having the opportunity uh, to have the opportunity to play after high school what, what kept me going. So I just I just love basketball. So I still play today in 35 and over league, old man. Ooh. I shoot a lot more now than I did when I was in college. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those point guys don't get a lot of shots in college. Uh, Bushman, you talked about or you mentioned that, that you coached for 16 years at the middle school level. What was that experience like? Uh, obviously, uh, we got college coaches on here and high school basketball coaches. What was the middle school basketball like and why did you stick around for 16 years? Oh, yeah. So we got our first sponsorship for tonight brought to you by Coach Bushman. $100. All 
All right, coach, take your take your mic off mute and then uh, let's get you in here. But um, yeah, so growing up in MPS and playing in Milwaukee Public School basketball, um, I just grew I love the game and playing with a diverse group of people and just like learning a lot from different styles of basketball. And then my first year at, in Kenosha, I just happened to find a job at Lincoln Middle School. I'm a graduate from UW Parkside. So obviously I had connections to Kenosha um, growing up at Parkside and having that opportunity to coach there. Like I just had, it was, it's an amazing system. You come from different cities, like an MPS, we don't have the, the city basketball is not like it is in, in Kenosha where we have like a really developed system, daily practice games in the middle school level. And that's not, I think sometimes we take that for granted that that's not what happens in all cities and in all places to have public basketball at that level is, is pretty amazing. And I learned just so much from other people at that school, Pete Baranek or um, other people that came around having old players like Kyle Clark and, you know, other kids that came through to Ontario Scott. And I mean, so many Brantley's, uh, so many kids that just came through there that just did some great things and seeing them grow is, is pretty amazing. Excellent. Thank you for that, Coach. Um, now I got a coach. I got a question for you, for your other two coaches. You guys been around the game for a long time, uh, Corey. You've been coaching at the college level for ten plus years. Uh, what makes you continue to go? There's a lot of coaches that burn out, but what makes you continue to go? Those are some long hours that you guys put in. Well, first, Coach Bushman, shout out uh, Parkside. Um, alum here too, so proud. And those Brantley kids, I, I've worked with them when I was coaching at Tremper years and years ago, so I'm very familiar with them. So salute to you, and I, I respect middle school, high school coaches as much as anybody. Um, but yeah, I, I think to stop from burnout is understand why you do it every day. For me, every day I walk in, one, you know, my job is to provide for my family. Um, so that's what gets me to go to work every single day doing what I do. Um, but the other part of it is, is just the relationships with our players um, and recruits. Um, the satisfaction of seeing them be successful. You know, when you look back on our college years, our high school years, your closest friends are your teammates uh, and your coaches. And I do it because somebody did it for me um, to get me to where I am. And so I, I just, I love those that day to day. I love every day in practice. Practice gets me going. Scouting, traveling, all that stuff can be kind of a grind, but when it gets to just being in practice with your guys, there's nothing like it. And there'll never be nothing like it as far as a job because it's really not a job. You walk in and, and you're, you're back with the team, just like when you were a player, only now you're, you're leading the group instead of listening to somebody telling you the next steps, so. Excellent, thank you for that, Coach. Coach Leach, you've been in the game 30 plus years uh why do you keep going and uh from the looks of it uh it doesn't look like there's a retirement coming anytime soon not that you have to speak on that but what keeps you going after 30 plus years at the high school level yeah it's easy for me um before i get into it though uh also, I'm also a Parkside grad. I did it when it wasn't popular back in 1990, um, but uh, it was very good for me and, and very appreciative of the school. But I had 
my watershed moment this season when it comes to coaching and, and um, why I'm still doing it. And I know <clears throat> we're a little short on guests, so Brandon, I might take a couple of extra, couple of extra minutes. Um, but this year, and, and the person I want to talk about, you you know very well, Brandon, when you were coaching with me, uh, James White mm. um, came into the program as a freshman manager. And um, he had Tourette's and um, struggled early on in getting acceptance. Um, But the kid has such resiliency. And uh, he really became a Hall of Fame manager on the varsity level. And I tell you what, that kid was very humble. Not only did he manage for the varsity, but he did it for the JV and for the freshman too. I mean, the kid just loved to be a part of the program. We were so proud to have him as a part of our as a, 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 our group, our team. And he loved being there. And he would practice with the kids. He would shoot threes. And I swear he was 04 in November, uh, December, January, February, and March. But uh, his senior year, our last home game, or our last game against uh, Badger, we gave him the opportunity to suit up. And I never saw a kid's face light up like his did. And he literally, he was, he would come in a suit for every game. He literally sprinted to the locker room to put on that uniform. He was so proud. He warmed up and I said, Hey, James, no promises. Um, but if we get the chance, we're going to get you in there. And, uh, we got a chance early or late in the first half. And, um, he was so excited. He traveled. I came back in the second half and, um, we got him in the game again and we got a situation where, you know, I wanted to get him the basketball, get it in his hands. And in those situations, you're not supposed to call timeout. And so, uh, I didn't, but I gave Michael Holden, my assistant, the okay to go ahead and call timeout and draw up a play. Um, and we, we drew up a play. The kid came down, hit two threes in a row. Um, we had a small crowd there, uh, for Bradford traveling, but I tell you what, that, our crowd exploded for this kid because it was, um, it was, it was more than just hitting two threes. It was seeing a kid develop for four years mm-hmm. and kind of grow out of that shell and become uh, very popular at Bradford. And it was, I mean, I, I'm getting chills now telling the story, but he hit two threes back to back. Place went crazy. He was so excited. He ran down so fast to play defense. Those two possessions. Um, it was it was just so impressive. We the game ends. I gather everybody up in the locker room, and I told them, I said, "This by far, in over thirty years of coaching, was my greatest experience. This is this is why I do it, um, and I I don't know that I'll ever be able to top what I just witnessed tonight." And I stepped out of the locker room, talked about it with the coaches. I walked back in. He had his uniform off, his suit back on. And he was taking care of all the jerseys, putting them away. And I said, "Man, you're 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 Superman." I literally, you took off you took off your Superman outfit. You're back to Clark Kent, and you're doing your thing. I love you, James, and um, that's why I do it. And, and, and nothing better in my 30 years of, of seeing James do that. But not only, I mean, the, the threes were nice, and he got the accolades. But just watching him grow from a freshman to a senior was just absolutely awesome. Wow. (laughs) 
Stories like that is why we are a part of this great game. Uh, thanks for those those answers, uh, fellas. Great content all the way around. So now let's dive into it. Uh, my man, Chris, we're coming to you right away. Uh, so is there any kind of pressure growing up in Chicago as a basketball player? You know what? I wouldn't say pressure. Uh, like I, like I touched on just the excitement, you know, the buzz around our city, you know, Chicago, you know, New York, you know, LA, I guess those major cities, you know, especially during my era growing up, you know, it was like who had the, who had the best basketball players and things like that. So I think just the excitement of representing your, your city, but representing, you know, talking about Chicago, representing your neighborhood or your high school that you played for. I think that was, uh, just the biggest thing the excitement. I don't think it was any pressure. I, for me, it wasn't. Uh, just my love for the game and the excitement that, you know, the gyms are packed. You know, these little small gyms you have, you know. you. Uh, I played in the Red West, which was, uh, you know, Weston House, uh, Manly, Luther Head went there. Weston House, you had Martell, David Bailey, uh, some older guys. And then you had Farragut High School, you know, Ronnie Fields, Kevin Garnett, those guys went there. Uh, and so just the, those small gyms where you take the ball out of bounds, half your foot's inbounds, half your foot's out of bounds. <laughs> and so that excitement and the atmosphere you played in in those gyms is just, uh, you know, you didn't feel the pressure. You just say, you just, the excitement of playing the game it was just tremendous. So you mean to tell me out of the, just those players that you named and then growing up in the MJ era, knowing that Isaiah Thomas came from there. Then you got your boy Arthur, A.G., Hoop Dreams. I mean, you could keep naming names. Um, there's no pressure to, like, living up to that hype or even maybe, like, the point guards that are there, your height, your position, obviously. No pressure, like, trying to live up to Isaiah Thomas or the rest of those guys that came before you. Like I said, no pressure. You just, you know, you wanted to be like them. You know, you wanted to live up to the, I guess, the hype of, you know, the guys that came before you. You know, who dreams? You know, you see that and you, oh, wow. Then, you know, about Isaiah Thomas, you know, Tim Hardaway, you know, those guys that come through Chicago. And you just, you want to mimic them. You want to be like them. But I think you just get caught, you know, like the other coaches talked about, the love for the game. You know, why we, why those guys still coach? You know, it's why we play, you know, kind of keep that love. And I think it just, you know, as a young man, as a young kid, you're just so excited to be out there. You're just living in the moment. Mm. So I don't think that pressure ever really, really gets to you because just, you know, you're just living in the moment and you want to do your best. So I would say I could, you know, knowing a lot of those guys, a lot of guys coming through the city and I still talk to, talk to, I don't think the pressure was there, you know, uh, I don't think it was. I think there's excitement for the game, the love for the game, you know, representing where you came from, your family, the neighborhood you came from, and the, and the, the name you had across the front of that jersey. I think that meant so much to so many guys coming out of the city. Uh, I think that's when you, you didn't feel the pressure. You just were excited about living in the moment. Excellent. So uh, shout out to all, all, the, all the folks that are listening to our podcast in the morning while they're getting ready, while they're uh, doing their workouts. Uh, to the garbage men on, on their morning trails, talking about uh, the, the fellas that listen to the podcast. 
uh, something that I want you to take away and tell your sons and daughters if they are playing basketball. Uh, Chris Hill, Division One basketball player out of Chicago, just talked about living in the moment. And there's no pressure to this game. It's just you got to live in the moment and take it all in. Uh, so that's one takeaway that players definitely should have. Uh, Corey, what, what do you got? I think that speaks to the culture of why Chicago is known for great basketball, right? Uh, you're playing for your, your neighborhood. You're playing for your city. You're playing for yourself and your teammates. And, and the name on the front of your jersey, it means something to you. I think anywhere where there's winning culture, you're not you're playing for something bigger than yourself you're playing for your city for your town you know obviously i didn't come from chicago but i played in a town where basketball was the only thing to do and um that was your nba you were you were ready to go that day every day and thrive in those environments and thrive in the packed gyms have, have your foot on the on, on inbounds and out of bounds at the same time passing the ball and i, I remember that vividly um you know to have that opportunity and get those big games, there's nothing like it as a 16, 17, 18-year-old to do that. And it speaks to why Chicago basketball is so great, why the culture is so great with hoops. Because you look at what Chris just said, he, he gave you a history of Chicago basketball in about two minutes. And a reverence for a bunch of names of people that have been outstanding. And Brandon, you could do the same. Greg and Coach Bushman, you guys all could do the same for Kenosha basketball. And Brandon, you have that also with Green Bay basketball. So it speaks to winning cultures, winning people, and just great basketball in general. That's why the game of basketball is so great. Thanks. Greg, go ahead. I just wanted to ask Chris, um, coming out of Chicago and, and being recruited, why, why UWM? Why not stay in the city? Well, for me, so... When I got, when I was coming out in 01, I was recruited, well, obviously, by Loyola, UIC, uh, some of those hometowns, well, you know, in, say, general Western Michigan, the local area, but Chicago School definitely recruited me. And I had some some guys, well, Martel Bailey, uh, Sid Banks, those guys that were in my conference went to UIC. Uh, actually ended up having, they had a, a team, it was, Martel said, uh, Armand Williams, uh, Justin Bowen, they had about four or five, about five or six guys from the city league. And so coming out, uh, I wanted to compete against those guys. I think that, you know, we talk about Chicago, even, you know, as I came to UWM and even when I was a senior in high school, I found out how tough the Milwaukee Kenosha Racine guys were. You know, Karan Butler, you know, I'm a, I'm about four or five years younger than him. But when I was a freshman at Whitney Young, Quinn Richardson was a senior. And so he competed against the Karan Butlers. And so that was the first time I kind of, for me, you know, getting to high school, that's when you start AAU trail. You start hearing about guys from the area, areas around you, you know, on the AAU circuit. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, sorry, I hopped off the, uh, you, <laughs> why I chose UWM, but just the, I wanted to compete against those guys. I think they were going to those local schools. David Bailey, who was also Martel's older brother, he was at Loyola. And so I competed against him in the Red West at Western House as well. So UWM recruited me. And so when I came on my visit, we had, I just loved my teammates. We had some guys from Ohio. We had some guys from uh, Ronnie Jones from Vegas. uh, James Wright from Milwaukee. We had all these Milwaukee guys with some Ohio guys. 
And so uh, I was Chicago guy, and I just – they had just as much as competitiveness and love for the game as me. And so I said, you know what? Instead of going and linking up with the guys I've been competing against, let me link up with these guys that's right in this same area and, and beat up on these guys that have been beating up on me in the Red West a little bit. <laughs> so I think that's why – I think the coaching staff, Bo Ryan was – was the coach, the head coach at UW at the time. Rob Jeter was the assistant. Uh, I just love the staff. I love what the program, they painted a picture for me. Uh, and that I just, and then I met my teammates. And so those things all just combined to make a good recipe and, you know, end up turning out to be the best. You know, we went to uh, three NCAA tournaments in my five years there, one NIT. Uh, so it, it was. Uh, I think I made. I think I made the right decision. <laughs> <laughs> Dan Bushman, you have anything? I just want to say I'm glad Chris chose UW Milwaukee. <laughs> uh, UW Milwaukee grad for my masters there, and uh, um, following UW Milwaukee basketball real closely. Man, I was a big fan of his, and he did a lot for our program. And I feel like Kenosha. Milwaukee, Chicago, like we've had some really close connections. I mean, you think about Jabari Parker and his, um, like, just connection. Like, he felt, I think Milwaukee has a lot of connections to some of the similarities that we deal with in other cities, too. And so, um, I just, there's a lot of good connections between the three cities. And I feel like basketball has really kind of, as much as we try to divide each other sometimes, kind of brought us together as well. Excellent. Greg, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to comment to Corey and to Chris's point about Chicago. And you know, the talent that comes out of Chicago is second to none. But, you know, Martell, you mentioned Martell, Chris, and, you know, he's not on tonight, but um, he was the first high school team to play at the United Center and, and have a sellout. Wow. So you think about that and, and what high school basketball means in Chicago. I mean, that's pretty impressive. So to, to that point, you know, they played us. So that year, Martell and we played, we sold the United Center out, uh, 20, 20 some thousand, uh, city championship game. Uh, two teams from the same conference, same high school conference. Uh, at that point in time in Illinois, only one city team came out of the city and went downstate. Uh, that was, that was how it was, that's how it was done. So that team in Western House ended up uh, beating us. Uh, but that's how it was done. So we sold out the United Center. High school kids sold out the United Center. We played. So, Chris, them. let me ask you a stupid question. How was it? I mean, what was it like to play in front of 20,000 people at the United Center as a, what, 17, 18 year old kid? It's it's your dreams. I think that's the excitement I, 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 I you know, I tried to point on earlier. Uh, you grow up watching Michael Jordan. And you get to go and play on his court in his building where he's won these championships. It's just a, it's no feeling like it, you know, and not even to, you know, you got your, you know, your whole family's growing up Bulls fans, you know, you got your high school behind you, you know, you're not only playing at United Center on Michael George's court, you're playing against your rivals somebody in the conference that you played twice already. Wow. And so I think this, and that's one of the reasons why I chose UWM, you know, 
I had been getting beat up on these guys <laughs> uh, through high school. And so when I finally got to college, you know, I met those group of guys. And I think this, the love for the game that they had, I shared with them. And that's why I chose UWM. Uh, and, I, and like I said, it worked out for me. And I know Brandon probably doesn't talk about it. I don't know. He talks about himself enough. You know, GB, you know, teams he had, they were pretty tough as well. So it was just a leaving the Red West and then playing in the Horizon League at that time with Butler, Green Bay, you know, UIC, you know, even a team like, you know, Youngstown, who was, you know, they were finishing last in the conference, but they always gave you a game. You know, so I just think, you know, the league that I, I was lucky to play in, the Horizon League I chose, was it was just a great basketball atmosphere as well. Wow. Wow, those are some powerful stories. So Chris Hill was a part of selling out the United Center as a high school kid. I mean, that's a, that's a special team to be a part of. Uh, for the next question, um, name one of the best Chicago basketball players that you know of that didn't make it to the NBA. I gotta give you two. It's just so that's, many. That's fine. That's fine. You guys probably heard of him. I start off with Ronnie Fields. Yes, sir. We we just talked about you know the Michael Jordan. You know, growing up listening to Mike and watching Mike. So Ronnie Fields was that when I was growing up as a kid. He was the Michael Jordan of Chicago. You know, he had the ball head. You know, he had the spectacular dunks. And then you know, Kevin Garnett comes on the scene. He you know, from the Carolinas, he moves to Chicago and he plays with Ronnie Fields. So it's like just the atmosphere is just crazy around the city. Wow. And so uh, Ronnie Fields, you know, he had, everybody pretty much knows, he had the car accident and he was never uh, the same and he never made to play in the NBA. But him as a, oh man, high school, he was the Michael Jordan of Chicago, you know, that you could touch. That you could you could see because you know it was for me. I went to one Bulls game per year, you know, during the season. My parents couldn't afford it, but I got a chance to go to to see Ronnie Fields, and so he was the Michael Jordan of high school. So uh, he was the one player, just you know, just the spectacular dunks, the ball head. He just you know he had the swag. You know, it was just everything that came along with it. He was the the one guy uh, I want to start off with, and then Amari Sawyer. Ooh. who was, you know, you guys probably know of as well. Uh, I think just the notoriety as well with Ronnie Fields coming out of the city. You know, he, had a, he was one of the first high school kids to have a commercial with Puma. <laughs> yep. You know, uh, it was him, a kid, I think the kid that ended up going to Michigan State, and then a kid maybe out west. It was, so Mari Sawyer had that same buzz. He was a little older than me, and he could just do it all, man. He was a bigger point guard. And he just had this, just, he, he was just smooth. You know, he was never rushed. He always made the nice, spectacular Magic Johnson pass. And he could just knock that open shot. So I think those two guys stand out for me that I want you guys to touch on. You know, I'm pretty sure you heard of them. If you hear about Ronnie Fields and, and Amari Sawyer, I think you might have been living under a rock a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Greg. So, yeah, I had the. Uh... The fortunate experience to see Ronnie Fields and uh, Kevin Garnett play at Alumni Hall uh, in high school, so that was that was pretty cool. A buddy of mine and I went down to watch them. We were 
big DePaul fans. But, um, you know, you mentioned Damari Sawyer, and he was one of the guys that I was going to mention that I had on my list here. Um, you know, I remember Sonny Cox, uh, Coach at King, right? I mean, he was recruiting him in, in middle school, right? I mean, that's wow. the kind of a prodigy he was. He, I mean, he was all over him. I remember reading the Chicago papers and, and thinking that this guy was, you know, the next it. And uh, whatever happened to Amari Sawyer, Chris, do you know? So, yeah, so he went to DePaul, and I think, you know, which we see, we saw a lot of times where I think the publicity and some of the stuff uh, can get a hold of a kid. You know, we talked about pressure starting his podcast off, and he might be a person that can speak on as far as pressure because he, he had the commercials. You know, he had all the, the fanfare. And so I think, uh, you know, pressure, I don't know, might be a little bit of that or, you know, just him, you know, not diving into his craft and maybe he lost some love for the game. I, you know, I, I can't speak for him, but uh, he went to DePaul and he just never got over that hump of making it to the NBA. So, uh, but pressure, some of the things that uh, Coach Morris talked about, you know, coming out of the city and, and you know, a city like Chicago. And he had a commercial in high school. So that's I think crazy. That, I think those things could play a part of that and him not making the NBA. Appreciate that, Chris. Uh, Coach Bushman, I got to come to you. Um, who I is. Don't know if this is true or not. Okay. Rashard Griffin. Did he play NBA? But didn't he have like an off time and never did he ever come back? Richard? No. So, I mean, that was a dominant center right there that changed again. Becoming I'm again Wisconsin Badger fan here. You know, like he, I felt like I wanted him on the Bucks because I felt like he could have made a significant difference at the when he first man sophomore at. Wisconsin and like just dominate. It was almost like a Shaq thing to me, at least. And uh, like that would be my guy if, if I didn't know if he ever did step on the NBA court, but that would be my guy. Yeah, uh, Coach Shellstrick is shaking his head. No. Yeah, he never did. I, I had the fortune uh, to meet Richard uh, through Coach Howard Moore, who opens recovering well. Um, and, uh, you know, always thinking of him and his family. Um, yeah, Richard Griffith did not play in the NBA. He he was making more money overseas. Um, played for a long time over there. He was he was one of my picks. And then uh, another guy was Tom Kleinschmidt, who played at Gordon Tech uh, way back in the day. He was in Hoop Dreams. That's why I remember that name. And then the one that kind of jumped out at me when I was kind of thinking about this a little bit was uh, Cliff Alexander, um, who is more recent. And he's played overseas. I don't know if he's played in an NBA league game yet. Um, I know he was drafted, but I saw Cliff live at the UIC camp because of Coach Moore's invitation. Um, I got to see him and Julio Okafor go back and forth uh, that day, um, and it was it was something to see. Cliff Alexander was a man at that time, at 16, 17 years old, and uh, you know I, I I don't remember if he's played a league game, but I'll tell you what he was he was pretty damn good. Where where did he get drafted out of? What what school? He went to Kansas University. Okay, straight to Kansas? Yeah. Okay. Went to Kansas. Uh, he did play for the Portland Trailblazers. So. Did he play a little bit? Okay. He okay. played eight games. Okay, okay. There we Moment. go. Good morning, I got your back. There we go. <laughs> I was asking that one because that, that's the guy that stuck out to me for a long time. 
he was he was special at that age. Chicago Hoopers. Um, wow. Some great history uh, going on here tonight. Uh, so, Bushman, I want to come back to you, though. Um, who is maybe one of the best middle school basketball players you either coached or that you saw during your 16 years that maybe never played a high school game? Oh, a high school game. Or maybe never or never played college. That was deep. Okay, I say college. Um, did Atario play somewhere? Where did Atario go? Do you guys know where Atario Scott went? I'm not sure. I, I, I remember him playing somewhere possibly, but I'm not he sure. Was, he was a stud. Like, I mean, I there's few kids who I've coached where when they walk on the court as a, like, well, I mean, I was a middle school counselor, so I was watching these kids from sixth grade on, but that just came on the court and understood the whole game. And I know everybody who's hearing me talk from Kenosha is probably like, Bushman, why is he hyping up Jatario? Why aren't you saying this kid? There's a, a bunch of amazing kids that I coached that I feel like, you know, Kyle Clark obviously was a great kid, but I came in like as a seventh grade coach. I didn't really, I didn't like see him rise up where I had like kids like Ruben Williams and John McAllister and all these kids who did a lot of great, great things on the court for me. And not just that, but were just great kids like just amazing like they they would do whatever they they were asked to do and beyond and just kind caring people and so like just had a, a lot of amazing kids and I don't know if you guys know but there's a student I did coach SUNY who passed away recently and it's just that those are the kind of stories that I hear that are hard for me like seeing kids that were just again amazing young men who we're just working hard, and, and, and he died at a really early age, and uh, those kind of stories are the hard ones to just take. All right, thanks for that, Coach. Uh, again, naming some other who, who we would consider really, really like maybe one of the best of the best Kenosha basketball players that never got a chance or never played college basketball uh, for whatever reasons. Um, so coming back to you again, Chris, uh, or Corey, did you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I want to jump in another one that I, I had the opportunity to work with is that for my time in Kenosha, Darrell Longstreet. Um, Darrell, Darrell was a top 75 player in the country uh, in high school. And I know, you know, uh, kind of lost his way a little bit, but he was one of the players that to me was supremely talented. Um, and he would have hung in any city in the country anybody uh in his prime <laughs> most definitely he was a special kid Darrell Longstreet I uh <laughs> University of North Carolina Chapel Hill called my phone for this young man when he was a sophomore just as well as Marquette called my phone for him and it was it was hard to believe this kid was freshman sophomore getting calls from these big schools uh so yeah that's another kid that uh, for whatever reasons, uh, didn't get to reach his full potential. Um, so, Chris Hill, we're coming back to you. Name one of your Chicago peers that you love watching play during high school. Will the Thrill Bite. <laughs> Ill Will. Will the Thrill. So, it was, uh, he's the same age as me. Uh, so, 
I went to Whitney Young. So we were, so like I said, as a freshman, you know, we, Quentin them won state. So they had lost their junior year prior to Peoria Manual team that had won it, you know, state championship all those years. Uh, then Quentin them won. And then so we, for, for for our listeners though, because Chris Hill is just throwing out Quentin like you know, he talking about Q Richardson and played in the NBA. He Chris Hill played in a real live conference, folks. <laughs> so, so they they won it, uh, so we come on the scene, me and my freshman group. So we're supposed to be the next up and coming, you know, Quentin Richardson, Cordell Henry played at Marquette. Uh, Dennis Gates is on that team, played at Cal. He's actually uh, coaching the Horizon League. He's a Cleveland State coach now, head coach. And so, you know, we come on the scene, me and my crew, uh, another Marquette guy, Ronald Howard, went to Marquette for a year and transferred. He played, came in with Diener, went to Valparaiso, uh, works in the G League now. So me and him and the rest of our crew come on the scene. And Will Bynum, you know, is at Crane, a high school nobody really heard of. It's on the west side, never known for basketball. And he just bust on the scene, man. And he was just, he was, he was amazing. He was a tough, he was a tough person to guard. Uh, just, you know, he's 5'10", five, five, 5'11", stat like a football player uh, back in high school and just could rise up off the gym, uh, off the floor, go dunk it, put it on your head. Uh, and just handle that thing on the string. So, you know, he's been in the NBA, played for the Pistons, and he's been around, uh, played over in Europe, Maccabi, Tel Aviv, all those teams. Uh, but just watching him play appear, uh, just a guy just, he worked his tail off uh, to get to where he was at. And he just, he could handle it, he could shoot it, he would dunk on you. So, and he was my size, so it was exciting, you know. I couldn't. I couldn't jump over a curve. I was speedy. I was speedy. <laughs> I couldn't jump over a curve. So seeing him kind of go to that next level and, and finish at the rim, he was exciting to watch and exciting to play. And so to see his career, you know, I went to UWM. He went to. Uh, he ended up at Georgia Tech. He finished at Georgia Tech. I'm not for sure where he. Arizona. Arizona. Yep. He went to Arizona first, and then transferred to Georgia Tech, where he finished up. And he ended up playing in the NBA and then played at the highest level overseas as well. So him as a peer, he was exciting, exciting to watch. Will the thrill bite him? So that's that's crazy that you mentioned that. Uh, so when Will is on on the podcast in, in a couple of weeks from now, uh, I'll, I'll share this story again. But he we played together on the same travel basketball team, and I can remember. Uh, before he played in a tournament, he came to one of our practices. We were practicing up in Racine at the Brace Center. And this little, you know, 5'10", muscular cat walk in the gym. And we kind of like, man, look, we don't need no another little bitty dude. We good. And and then he didn't even practice that day. So we had some little young guys that were uh, point guards. And they was like, oh, let us at him. We want to get at him. But he didn't. he didn't practice. So... Uh, you know, Cass wasn't feeling that. You came down here, Mark, get into practice. And uh, we go off to the tournament and we play at the Kentucky Bluegrass. And he's in, the, he gets in the game and we get like a half uh, a steal on a semi break and throw it to him. And he kind of slow down and then he just take off. And it's a big seven footer standing under there. And he go off and dunk on him. And everybody changed up their thoughts that <laughs> when, we, when he didn't practice, like, 
oh, he can go. We good. We good. He can rock with us. And from there on, it just, I mean, he just set apart uh, from everybody. We had, I mean, we had an amazing team. It was, it was a great time playing with him. About eight of us all played Division One basketball. It was just, it was, it was crazy. He put on the show every single time. So when we played guards like Carlos Hurt, uh, Dewan Wagner, uh, all those guys, it was Rashard Carruth. It was always a big time matchup between him and the other guards. So Will Bynum, man, that cat has some handles. I remember the first time we were in the hotel on one of our road trips, this cat said, we, he just landed in the bed and eating a, 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 a strawberry daiquiri, like a virgin daiquiri. And he just out of nowhere said, can't nobody in the world rip me. <laughs> and me and my guy told for he looked like, dude, what you say that for? <laughs> what, what you mean? And he's just like, can't nobody in the world rip me. I work on my handles all the time. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he, he made us think differently, too, because obviously we, we don't get to see Chicago players up close, but we hear about them all the time. And when he said that, we was like, man, Chicago cat's different. This cat going to say, can't nobody in the world rip me. Like, why would you say that? But clearly he put in that work, like you said, on his handles, and he took his game very serious, and he believed that. And, yeah, could nobody rip him. <laughs> um any other questions you guys want to close out in this first segment? Corey. I got to show some respect to a couple of Chicago guys, too. Uh, D. Brown, who was my age, um, he, he was he was special uh, playing against him. Little guy walking in the gym, you'd never know he could play. But when he when the lights came out, I can't remember if he went to Proviso East or West, but I remember he could play. That was uh, East. He, was it East? Yeah, he could play. He, he would he – would, he was—he didn't go to the league for nothing. Now he's over at USC doing his thing as an assistant. And then uh, Dwayne Wade. Uh, Dwayne Wade, uh, you know, I know he played out in the suburbs, I think it was, but uh, he was unbelievable playing against an open gym. Um, at that time in Marquette, he couldn't even shoot. And you're off him six feet, he's still beating you to the front of the rim. Um, his, his athleticism through the charts shows in his NBA career. And then as a coach, seeing – uh, Stevenson High School, we're recruiting a kid there, which is out in the suburbs a little bit. Uh, but Jalen Brunson was just absolutely phenomenal as a high school player. Uh, one of the best I've gotten to see up close overall. I put him, Jason Tatum, up there with some of the best players I've ever seen at the high school level, you know, up there with the LeBrons and all those guys as high school players. Uh, I, I would put Jalen and I would put Jason Tatum, Tatum up there. Jason Tatum, obviously, from St. Louis. But uh, – Jalen was just, he was on another level. He was a pro as a high school senior. And it shows with the Mavericks. He's not the most athletic. He's not the biggest. He's not the strongest. But nobody outworks that cat. So I had to, I had to show a little love to those guys. So so let me jump in. D. Brown. So D. Brown's, uh, he's a year younger than me, I want to say. And so yeah, I went to Proviso East. And so I actually, that's who, that's who put me out, obviously, in the Sweet 16. We played Illinois. In Chicago, Rosemont Horizon Arena, uh, they had him, obviously, point guard. They had Roger Powell, who's from Joliet, Chicago guy. Uh, we play on the same AU program. Roger's my age. Uh, they had Luther Head, my age, from Manly High School. Same conference with me, Will, uh, the Red West, Martell, Bailey, Westhouse, all those schools. So, uh, 
So we play those guys. Deron Williams too, right? Deron, Deron's from Texas. Okay. So Deron, yeah, Deron's on that team. Yeah, so he's a third point guard. And so D Brown, I've known D because a little small snippet, I, my high school sweetheart, we dated four years. He knew her best friend. I think he had the eyes of my girl. So, you know, I had a little <laughs> high school about D. <laughs> but D, D's a great guy, a great man. He's at UIC coaching. They kept more staff with the new coach. New coach uh, but he was a, a great, great player, man. He's another guy that couldn't jump over a curve like me, but he was cat quick mm. and just could knock down, shoot it, stop on a dime from the hash mark and just, you know, I think that's what separate, I would say, him going to Illinois and me going to UWM, the way he was able to, to shoot it. Uh, I think that, that's what separated a guy like me and him because I feel like I was just as quick as him and could handle the ball just as good, but his ability to shoot it and make shots, man, because once he got going, he got going. So, <laughs> Rebrand was definitely a, a tough cover. And he reminded me of the cat who hit the TBT winner the other night, Travis Diener in his prime, but not as – D. Brown was stronger than Travis as far as strength. But same type of game, you, you leave them open, they're killing you. And, and it was just crazy. And and like Chris said, couldn't either of them jump, you know. And I saw Coach Brown, they had UIC up at our, our gym practicing a couple of years ago. We were talking, he's already had his hip replaced at like 30 – at our age, at whatever, 36 years old. Whoa. Uh, yeah, but he, uh, I think if his hip didn't go out in the NBA, I think he would have had a long NBA career. Gio. You know, we're talking about all these great Chicago players. I got to I gotta ask Chris this question. Uh, being a DePaul fan, why does DePaul struggle so much to recruit the city these days? You know what? That's a, that's a really good, that's a really great question. Uh I think they've had, you know, well, let's say the last time, well, not the last time, the last time they had the big buzz in the city. Because I think Leto has, he's won there, I think, the, before he just came back. They did some winning. Uh, but the big buzz they had was, I know I was still in high school, that's when Quentin, Paul McPherson, Bobby Simmons, guys, Bobby Simmons, uh, Lance Williams from Julian High School, uh, those guys came in as freshmen and played together. Uh, and I just I don't I don't have to answer that question. You know I know they have a guy on staff now, uh, Chicago guy uh, Tim. Tim actually played at Crane High School with Will Biden, and they've had quite a few guys just transfer in to DePaul from the city. So it's going to be interesting to see how they do here if we have a season, <laughs> uh, how DePaul transitions here in the next year or two because they have quite a few Chicago kids that have transferred back home and kind of getting that same buzz that they've had when Quentin, Paul McPherson, Bobby Simmons, Lance Williams, and then went there. So uh, I think they just, they haven't really done a good job of connecting, I guess, with those city kids. It's, it's interesting. It's hit or miss sometimes. It's the same way, you know, Chicago is this uh, huge city full of basketball talent, but none of those guys go to, well, Illinois per se, I guess, or, you know, DePaul, you know, but you see a school, you see a state like Wisconsin, who when they keep their Wisconsin kids, and which is why the Badgers and Marquette has done so well. You know, Marquette has done a great job getting their their 
you know, Madison kids, you know, or, or Racine, Milwaukee kids. And Madison, I mean, Wisconsin has done the same thing. And I think that's why, you know, let's speak about Wisconsin, why the teams, you know, UWM, you know, a lot of our guys were, you know, Jose Winston, James Wright. You know, James was one of the catalysts on one of the reasons why I went to UWM. Green Bay has some success. You know, they did, you know, they had some Wisconsin kids, but they also went and stole a couple kids from Chicago. You know, with Kiefer Sykes and those guys. So I, I give Wisconsin tremendous credit for keeping their kids home. And I think what that's why DePaul has has struggled a little bit over the years. I think Lato has went and got a whole bunch of East Coast guys. And it hasn't transitioned to win. So it's going to be interesting to see here next uh, year or two. Uh, they've had some Chicago kids transfer back home. So I'm, I'm a DePaul fan. Uh, I used to, you know, that's the, that's the city team. So I wasn't a big college guy, but DePaul, you know, was uh, was that team you watched. I think Klein Smith went there, right? Yeah. And and that's yeah. what I watched. When he was he kind of got the buzz kind of going right before Quentin and uh, Bobby Simpson went there. He was that guy there that kind of got that buzz going. So Klein Smith was uh, he was tough. He was tough, man. I, I always I always ask that question because you went from Mark Wire, Terry Cummings, Skip Dillard, Clyde Bradshaw. You know, they used to get the Chicago kids, and then they they were able to get out east and recruit Dallas Comedies. Um, and it seems like a pretty simple formula. They just haven't been able to to put it all together. Pat Kennedy did for a little bit, um, and Lado did the first time. hasn't really had the success. So it's a, it's a question that I ask periodically on the podcast and Brandon and Corey and everybody else is probably getting tired of hearing it, but uh, I appreciate the answer, Corey, because that's, uh, uh, Chris, because that's probably the best one I've gotten so far. So thanks. You know, and you got to remember too, all these Chicago kids that are at the Paul's recruiting, they're getting recruited nationally. Like where some of these Wisconsin kids will sneak under the radar a little bit at times. Um, but there's no, there's no under the radar in Chicago. If you're good. You, you know, it's very rare. You find a keeper Sykes that ends up at UWGB today. Um, you know, you know, Brian Wardle was a steal at Marquette. You know, he kind of flew under the radar at Hinsdale. But you get these guys like uh, the Jabari's, the Anthony Davises. You've got Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina calling. Wisconsin kids, Tyler Harrell, he, he decommitted from Wisconsin to go to Kentucky. So, you know, if they're not, if they're on that national level, they're at that peak peak, it's really hard to keep those guys away from the Excellent. Thank you, coaches and, and, and ex-coach, but you're still a coach because you're coaching the youngsters. Uh, thank you for that first segment. Uh, we're going to close it out, and we're going to jump back in in the second segment to hear more from Chris Hill, Coach Bushman, Coach Greg Leach, and Coach Corey Shashelshi. This is the best damn podcast in the land. I'm your host, Brandon Morris. Welcome back. We're in the segment two. We got my man, Chris Hill, X-U-W-M, U-W-U-W-M, man. We had to battle with these cats in college, and that's the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, the Sweet 16 team, the only team to go to the Sweet 16 in the school's history at that. Last week, we had his teammate on, Joe Tucker, talking about the Sweet 16 and now this week, we're very fortunate to have Chris Hill talking that Chicago basketball talk, bringing out a lot of history from our Chicago basketball. And in this second segment, we're going to get into some 
very debatable topics for, uh, I don't know how many years this is going to go on, but it happens in everybody's living rooms, in their garages, at the barbershops, nail salon. This conversation happens everywhere. Uh, so this first question, uh, Dan Bushman, we're going to come to you. Chris Hill, we're going to finish out with you to let you close this question out. Uh, so, Dan, who is the greatest, the NBA's greatest basketball player to ever play the game and why? Also, no current players are available on this list. Well, to me, it's a no-brainer for me. Just growing, I mean, I'm a class of 93 high school. Uh, so Michael Jordan, by far, has, to me, had the full gamut of drive, like, success, obviously, with championships, just the whole storyline. And, like, he just was the greatest player I've ever seen. I hated Michael Jordan. I just sounds bad coming from Milwaukee. But, you know what I mean? Like, I wanted him to fail. And he always won, no matter what. <laughs> when I was put at him, I mean, I was a Dominique Wilkins fan because I just wanted to see that man win a couple of dunk contests over him because I knew the championship was never going to be there. But I mean, to me, Michael Jordan, I just it's to me not even a question mark. So you were a big Dominique Wilkins fan, you said? Wow. So we do. We I got to be honest. You may highlight though. I'm just sorry, like I I uh, being a Growing up, like at the Bradley Center, watching Dominique come there and do some of the stuff, that man would put up 50 points like nothing. Now I get it; it wasn't the same. He didn't always have as much on the line that championship teams were playing for, but he did some things to the Milwaukee Bucks that I just was like, as a kid sitting and watching, just being a fan of the game. My God, I got to meet the, I got to see him at one of the restaurants when he was in town, and it was like. Oh my God, that was my that that was my day. Even more than MJ, that was my day. Wow. Okay. So I gotta admit, I don't hear too many people say that they're big Dominique Wilkins fans. So I love to hear that. Excellent. Uh, Greg, who's who's the greatest player of all time, in your opinion, and why? Uh, well, Michael Jordan, without a doubt. And uh, for those of you that didn't hear the podcast last week, but Coach Baldwin, um, the couple of points that he made really hit home with me. Uh, the fact that Jordan did what he did early on, and he did it with guys that weren't ready. You know, everybody thinks about Scottie Pippen today, uh, what Forrest Grant was, um, and then some of the bits and pieces, but uh, Jordan brought those guys along and really, Jordan pulled them, I believe, in those first three championships. Uh, he pulled them with him. And uh, those guys weren't ready. I mean, I was a huge Bulls fan. I watched. Uh, it was painful to see uh, a couple of years previous to that. And then uh, that explosion against the Lakers. I mean, truly, as a Bulls fan going into that first championship but with Worthy and, and um, Magic and some of the guys – you thought it was going to be a real battle. And you kind of saw at that point um, the Bulls grow. But uh, as Coach Baldwin said, there's, in my opinion, there's nobody greater. Um, 
Jordan willed that team to victory many times in the first three and in the second three championships. Coach Shashelshi, who's your greatest player of all time? Brandon, this might be the first time we have a unanimous vote. Uh, MJ, not even close. I, I'm not taking any any other takers on this. Um, however, I understand it's generational. You know, um, you know, uh, Kareem Lou Cinder uh, has to be mentioned with the greats of all time. Uh, Bill Russell, uh, Kobe Bryant. Um, I always equate it to if, if the game's on the line and I want my life to live the next day. I want Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant taking that shot. I, I, I don't, or, or making that play, whatever that play is going to be. Not only did Jordan make the shot, but he got the steal on Carl Malone against the Jazz. You know, so, you know, big time players make those big time plays. Um, Coach Bushman, I got to say, I was a Dominique Wilkins fan too. Him and Sean Kemp, I loved watching them play. Obviously, I'm hair challenged. I, you know, those on the podcast can't see that. So I wanted my hair like Sean Kemp's. So I couldn't do it. Um, but, it was what it was, but those guys were just unbelievable watching them play. Um, and then the greats of those generations, right? And and today, you know, today's generation knows LeBron James, and I respect that, and Kevin Durant. But the best of all time, unequivocally, no hands down, number two is far, pretty far away, Michael Jordan. Wow. So we got one, two, three. You know, I'm going to go and, and let Chris Hill uh, close this out. Um, and by the way, that that's when you know you've accomplished. Well, I was told this by a few people. That's when you know you accomplish some great things. Um, when you have so many people, especially your peers, your uh, you can be considered colleagues, call you by your first and your last name. So you don't just say Kobe. You just say Kobe Bryant. You know, I'm saying Chris Hill. I mean, Division One player, Sweet 16. Anyways, we had some battles back in the day. Um, so I, I got to go with greatest player of all time for me is definitely Michael Jordan. I'm in agreement with, with you guys. It was just, I don't know if it's because, you know, we lived in Kenosha and, and got WGN as one of our local channels and, and got to see every game. But you best believe by the time 7 o'clock hit, and that music come on, came on. You know, I had already had my shower and everything. I was in my PJs and I was ready, glued in on that TV. Um, but everything about him, for me, makes him the greatest player. From his, the way he walks, the way he talks, how he dresses, prepares, and obviously his ultimate competitiveness. I tried to mimic that to the T. I'm only 6'1", uh, um, and I tried to be like Mike to the fullest. So, by far, Michael Jordan because of his extreme competitiveness. So, Chris Hill, we're going to let you close this out. Maybe you might be the one to change all of these, these answers that we have. Who's the greatest basketball player of all time for you? I'm going to have to say uh, the GOAT, uh, Mr. Airness, uh, <laughs> Black Jesus, uh, <laughs> see, what, 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 uh, Superman, Mr. June, Black Cat, Michael <laughs> Jordan. <laughs> I'm with everybody else, man. Uh, I just, 
like you said, I think it can be generational, you know, the area you kind of grow up in. But, you know, I think the last dance gave, you know, the kind of a inside look to the, you know, the new school kids, uh, guys, uh, just how competitive, you know, how competitive he was and he competed at everything. And, you know, the stat stuff, you can, you know, you got Wilt, you know, it's just, I've seen some video. He was he was amazing, man. Just do the things he did at his size, you know. But I just feel like you know he didn't have, you know, be interesting. You know, it's kind of hard to do generational. You might talk about that, you know, seeing him versus Shaq. You know, how would he hold up or, you know? But I think why because I've seen how great Kobe was, and you got to see Mike at the tail in his career, you know, what he did to Kobe when Kobe, you know, was kind of coming to his own still. Uh, so, uh, and he was at the tail in his career, you know, you know, Mike, what he did when his first, you know, his, his third year in the league, I think he averaged like almost 40, you know, and then, you know, people talk about, oh, he was just a great score, but, you know, one year almost averaged a triple double. I think he averaged like 30 some eight and eight, eight rebounds, eight assists. You know, he won the, I think the triple crown with eight in the NBA, defensive player of the year, scored champ and, you know, something, it's just amazing on what he accomplished and, and, and how he did it. And he also he won championships. I think that's what put the, the cherry on top uh, for his career. But, uh, you know, just growing up to see him play, man, it was it was amazing. To play in his, his arena was amazing. Uh, so it was uh, Michael, Michael Eric Jordan is, 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 is my GOAT. Uh, I'm interested. I'm a, I'm a big Kevin Durant fan. So uh, I'm interested to see how Kevin Durant comes back from his injury and, and finishes out his career. Uh, but uh, Michael Jordan is mine. He's my GOAT. Excellent. Excellent. MJ all the way around. Uh, I, I will say that we're all 35 years of age and older. Just for our listeners uh, to put some context to it. So we've actually got to see MJ play live. And yeah, MJ is a unanimous vote for tonight. The greatest player ever to play the game. <laughs> um, so this next question, um, I'm, I'm going to bring it to Coach Shoshik first and then back around and let, let Chris Hill close it out again. Uh, speak about any basketball regrets you have and how it would have maybe changed your career? Uh, well, I mean, I don't have a lot of regrets in life because I think everything that we do is an experience that leads us to today. And I'm, I'm thankful for today. Uh, I, I would say as a player, um, I was disappointed with myself when I look back on it you know, I prioritize partying a lot of times over playing. And I think if I would have took care of myself and done some of the things a little bit differently, uh, that I would have, I would have continued playing for a while. But at the end of the day, that path led me to where I am today with St. Norbert. And it's been a fantastic institution with me and I've loved every minute of it. So, um, I don't really regret that. Um, my thing would be more so to speak to others, not to do what I did. Um, but, that that has led me to today. As a coach, my biggest regret uh, would be Sweet 16 
not that I'm remembering this off the top of my head, but Sweet 16 uh, playing at Benedictine against Alma from Michigan. And uh, we're up or we're down one with about a minute and a half to go. And our best player, our point guard at the time, DJ Duvall, uh, the other coach calls out that their, their kid has a blood on his jersey, so it's our point guard. And uh, so Coach G, our head coach, comes to me and goes, Corey, what should we do? Should we take the timeout or play the possession? I'm like, well, we only have one timeout left. Let's play it out. Let's let's play the offensive possession without him. We'll get a stop. We'll get the ball back, get him back in the game. Use that timeout then. We never got the ball back. So uh, we ended up losing in the Sweet 16. So as a cautionary tale as an assistant coach, I look back on that one every single day. Um, And there was also one other game playing Elmhurst. Uh, Not that I remember this very well either, but uh, we're we're down three under seven seconds to go. And a kid banks in a shot from the volleyball line to, uh, to tie it to go to overtime. And we ended up losing a triple overtime. That might have been the most talented team we had at St. Norbert. That team was built for a national championship run. And uh, we lost that game in triple OT uh, after our, our starting center, our starting power forward called out. So not that I remember it. I don't regret <laughs> it because I'm here today. But they stabbed me. Gio. Yeah. Um... Thinking about what Corey said, coaching as long as I have, I've got a lot of those. I I wouldn't (laughs) want to bore you with it, but, you know, I always tell the kids, um, I'm not any harder on you than I'm on myself. Um, And as as a coach, you're making hundreds, thousands of decisions in in terms of a year, in a season. And I'm not perfect. I mean, I make, I make plenty of them. I make them, I make them in game. I make them in practice. And there's, uh, there's, not an opportunity that that comes across as a coach where you're not going to make a mistake. So in game situations, yes. As in terms of regrets, as Corey said, not really. I don't, I don't have any regrets. The one thing I think about is in terms of what I've done um, in coaching is I had an opportunity graduating from St. Joe's to go play at Madison Edgewood back in 1987. I mean, it's not, you know, it's certainly not D1 or anything great to talk about. The coach came to my house and recruited me. But I wonder where I would have been in terms of my coaching career, uh, where that would have led me, or maybe it would have led me somewhere else and I wouldn't be coaching at all. And, and sometimes I think about that, but uh, no regrets, just a, a, a lot of mistakes over thirty over the course of 30 years. Thanks for that, Coach. Coach Bushman. Uh, all right, so I, I got two things that completely separate in nature, but uh, early in my career, I only, I mean, I was a young kid coming to school counselor in Kenosha, a city I was not overly familiar with, obviously, um, growing up in Milwaukee. Uh, but I was, could have had an opportunity to be the Ruther head coach at that time, and I really love Ruther High School. The concept, there are so many of my kids who maybe weren't the starting players on my team that became star basketball players that did great things through that high school. And I, there's part of me that wishes I would have taken maybe an opportunity to take that experience on. And the second thing is, is being complicitly silent at times in education when I'd have kids of color that I'd be coaching who would would I feel we're sometimes being put in unfair situations with teachers, with other staff members, not 
sometimes I'm not trying to act like they didn't have some of their own issues that were going on or maybe made mistakes, but where sometimes basketball was used as the tool to like either hold them against them for other things or things like that where I feel like being, I probably could have stood up a little stronger for people in situations where basketball was from a lot of my kids that I worked with, they're out, they're, they're drive, they're the thing that kept them connected in my relationships and working with Brandon and Curtis and or a lot of other, a lot of other people, you know, toll free and other people that we worked with who were connected with kids and just building relationships and bettering these kids' lives. They needed to be around us and to have people try to take that away from them in ways that didn't really help them. It wasn't like it was benefiting them academically. So I guess that would be one regret. I wish I would have been more outspoken in those kind of situations. Thanks for that, Coach Bushman. Um, for me, I have uh, two regrets uh, when it comes to basketball. I guess one would have been coming out of high school. Uh, I guess I would I should have just took the offer to play at uh, Central Michigan. I signed with them early, like in November, and eventually um, didn't get didn't get a high enough test score, and I would have had to be like a prop forty eight um, at that time. That's what they called it, where you kind of uh sit out that year practice and do everything with the team and still have your four years and have like four years at one school kind of like chris like you did uh versus going the juco route and then also my other regret would be um my when, when i was in juco and i signed uh with green bay i think i would have I I would have rather maybe took a chance to go to Iowa State versus Green Bay just to see. Uh, obviously, Horizon League versus Big Twelve is is a big difference, and you, you get to play on national television and in a lot of your games. So maybe that might be a regret of mine too, just to see how do you compete against. Uh, I don't know who was playing at that time, those guards over there. Um, but yeah, just to play in the Big 12 and, and see what that was like. So that that might be two of my regrets comes to playing. Uh, why? Coach Corey, you, you going to add something to those players that was playing at that time? Okay. All I can remember is maybe Kirk Heinrich, maybe. Would that oh, yeah. Kirk Heinrich. Yeah, that's true. That was that was a big time league at that time. I really wanted to play in that in that conference, but yeah, I ended up chosen Green Bay. Uh, Chris Hill. Uh, well, I would say shooting more. I think my two kind of coincide with each other. I think I would have. Uh, when I say shooting more, I think just having more confidence within myself and my shot, and I think that coincides with. Uh, I did a little. I think a lot of partying and hanging out with the <laughs> with the ladies a little bit, which I think took away from me putting that time and having that confidence and the rep getting the repetition as far as uh, getting shots up and not having that confidence on the basketball court. You know, I think uh, we obviously had some really good teams at UWM, uh, but I think I could have been. Uh, I know 
coming out of high school, I had that confidence within myself and I, my shot, and I was a lot more aggressive. I think I could have been picked my spots, obviously, as we had those good teams. I think it would have took a lot of pressure off the Joel Tuckers, the Ed McCants, the Boo Davis, those guys, Adrian Tigerts, Wisconsin guy. Uh, I think it took a lot of pressure off them uh, scoring and giving them guys better opportunities to be able to score. So I think those two things, uh, not being aggressive enough, not having that confidence in shooting more, but I think that kind of came from me kind of, you know, hanging out and enjoying a little bit too much of UWM campus, campus life. Uh, but I think that, you know, uh, that success we had kind of played a, played a part in that. And so, uh, but just being more aggressive and taking those shots. Open looks. Wow. Did you play a little more defense, Brandon? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think you had too much energy for the offensive game <laughs> for me. And so I think if I'd have been a little more aggressive offensively, he would have wore you down a little bit, and I wouldn't have to chase you around so much on the defensive end. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So I do wanna I do wanna piggyback off of that. Um so cause we've played uh two years in a row where we're playing each other two, sometimes three times in a season. What was that game like? I know Joa came on and um Coach Kowalczyk came on and they kinda hinted to uh the rivalry between UW Green Bay and UWM, UW Milwaukee. What was that preparation like for you and your teammates in that rival game? What, what, what was all of that like the day of? You got ESPN. You always had both sold-out arenas. What was that like for you? It had to be locked in for those games. It was kind of it – was, it was interesting because we had, you know, UWM, we've had a little success. We had our first tournament. Uh, appearance with Clay Tucker, Ronnie Jones, uh, Jose Winston. Uh, they lost uh, last second. Well, we missed the last second shot against Notre Dame. Lost by one. And so you come to Green Bay. They, they hadn't had that success since uh, Bennett was there. Qualichek's there. He's getting these guys. You guys are winning some games, but you hadn't made that, you know, that tournament run yet. But with that being said, we knew that you guys were ready to kick our butt. You know, you're like, you know, they've been in a tournament. Who cares about them? Joe Tucker, Chris Hill, you know, Boo Davis, Adrian Tiger. Who, we're not trying to hear any of that. And so I think the level of focus for those games, you had to you had to dial in. Uh, not only, you know, was it a you know, conference game, but it was a rivalry game. You know, you can't let GB come down here and, and, and whip on us. Or, you know, you want to go up there, and you're like, you know what? There's still one in their place that make it even sweeter. <laughs> Just in case we run into them in the, in the conference tournament. So I think the level of focus, you know, Pearl, uh, was he was always locked in for those GB games. He wanted to beat Kowalczyk at GB. Uh, so just to, you know, I think to speak on Pearl, I think what a lot of people don't know, his he is the X and the O, X and the O part. You know, you see a lot of the, you know, the car salesman type of stuff. But what makes him great, is his ability to dial in a game plan and execute and prepare his team to execute a game plan. He is one of the best. I've uh, worked with uh, when he got – after I got done playing four years in Europe, I stayed on as a graduate assistant, and I got to spend a month with Conzo Martin. Uh, got the chance to – with Jeter, 
obviously with Pearl, I'm over here with Pat Miller. He won national championship. So to see how different guys prepare for different things, he's one of the best I've seen uh, as far as preparation with those uh, those game plans. He's he's dialed in. So and he's gonna make sure you're dialed in uh, as well, man. I remember those uh, those film sessions. I don't know if George said it, mentioned this, but <clears throat> I'm a little bit sleepyhead, fellas. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and to piggyback off those those nights I was having at UWM, I had a, a lot of late nights, <laughs> and so uh, I would come in a little sleepy. You know, after the practice, then you gotta watch film. <laughs> oh man, I, I think I, I think I, I might have been. I don't know if Pearl threw some things. In my, I, I don't know, but some things flew my way. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> too much water streak, I think, maybe. No, no. A little too much water streak. Yeah. Of, you know, I was <clears throat> water streak when I was over 21, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> wow. Yeah, those rivalries were uh, something serious. Uh, yeah. I know Kowalczyk touched on it uh, a couple weeks ago, um, how, how serious the rivalry was. Um, and the preparation it takes, you know, just to play in those rivalry games and how much it means to a lot of teams. It's like the Super Bowl in your season that you get twice every season and then sometimes a third time in the conference championship. So just wanted you to touch on that. Um, I've heard that. I heard that story from uh, different UWM players uh, from yourself from Joa, uh, I got a chance to play with uh, Ed McCants uh, maybe a year or two after we we left college, <laughs> and we played. We, we we brought him on a tournament with us, and him talking about the game and yeah, it was uh, it was pretty special. So shout out shout out to y'all team and y'all y'all had an excellent team. Right, is there any player that you played against uh, during your four years at UWM? that you was like, man, this dude can go. Uh, ooh, there's a couple guys. Well, obviously, you know, Deron Williams, <laughs> you know, sticks out, you know, just jumps off the page. You know, he was a little thicker at that time. You know, he trimmed down when he got to the NBA, but just his ability to, as a bigger guard, uh, I can see you a big guard too, Brandon. You know, just uh, the way he moved laterally, able to, to score. He can come off ball screens, he can pass it. You know, Deron Webb, he was I, his success in the NBA was not unnoticed. It was was it expected from a guy that got a chance to play against him. Yeah. Uh, when he was at Illinois, but uh, a guy I've seen a lot of was uh, David Bailey. Weston House played at Loyola, Chicago. Uh, his ability just to score, and you know that was this is Trey, you know Trey Young, all these small guards now, you know going to you know to the NBA, you know back you know back when we were coming it was the big guard era, right. Penny Hardaway and those guys, you know uh, Lamar Odom, you know he was the point guard, you know point forward, you know Tim Thomas, you know point forward, and so I think. When I was coming up, David Bailey, man, his ability, a small guard, just his toughness, uh, his ability just to score that thing, man. And he was only, I want to say, he, he only had about 5'7". 
<laughs> yep. <laughs> he played. He played some D league when it first started, and uh, I would be interested to see what his stats are like uh, in that D league. But he was just a tough, hard nosed guy. Uh, he was definitely a Chicago, Chicago kid right there. Mm. Um, last question before we, we, we get to our bonus round and our closing segment. Um, this is going to come to you first, uh, Bushman, if you can speak to it, and then uh, Coach Shashelshik, and then uh, GL, and Chris Hill. Um, when you compare today's resources to the resources when you played, in, in high school, how does it compare? Man, it's night and day. I mean, to me, and this is as a coach, maybe I'll, like, when I get caffeine, like, I play still a little bit, like some of these people said, 35-plus over leagues and stuff like that. But, like, um, for me, like, I became such a better player from watching coaching drills and YouTube videos and these things like that I've never, you know, I, I didn't have formal coaching of, you know, lessons or anything like that or took any classes. I Everything I took was from, like, learning from playing basketball with a large group of people. And then and then suddenly, like, now over the last few, you know, 10 years, just seeing so much information that's out there. So personally, like, I just think the resources are ridiculous. Like, if a person wants to grow whether it be as a player or a coach there's even with this quarantine i have friends of mine who are coaches at local high schools who are putting out like the regular videos right now on their facebook live so that you can do just quick drills like and that you know my kids i got three kids eight seven and four like but like if you don't think i'm like getting them out there like they won't listen to me of course i'm their dad but they'll listen to some coach on Facebook who's going to give them some drills and like knock out some stuff. So like that's what I think is huge right now. Thanks for that. Coach Shoshoshi. I think as a player, uh, athletic training is, is, has changed so much. Uh, you know, we were right on the edge of when weightlifting really got trendy and, uh, as basketball, as basketball players and, you know, you look at some great trainers in our area, in Green Bay area, we got Ryan Borowitz and Harry Boyce, uh, who put a ton of time in with guys. Um, shout out to both of them. And just that access to a gym, right? All of us here played on the playgrounds more than we played in the gym growing up. And, and that ability to get to do that, or, or in a driveway, or on, or on a, you know, a concrete slab somewhere, uh, that ability to get to do that, one, it, it kind of changes how the game is played. I, you know, I think we all grew up in a little bit more physical era against each other, and the rules have changed too. Um, but as a player, just so many more resources. And then as a high school player, if you even have the potential to play college basketball, whether it's NEIA, Division Three, Division Two, II, Division One, there's so many scouting services out there like, like Marky Moment and, and World Hoops that spend the time to get the video and and, and work with you and contact other institutions. So that's completely changed. As a coach, like Coach Bushman said, so many more resources, so many more webinars and coaching clinics. And um, people aren't quite as secretive today as they were back in the day as coaches. Um, a lot of people are more open books today. Um, and then film, uh, even as a young assistant in high school 
in college, it, you uh, you spent so much time just cutting up film, right? Just just taking VHS tapes, dubbing it to this, to this, and, and hours and hours and hours. And now today, we got Synergy. So hop on Synergy, I can watch Chris's white, Whitewater team. I, I can get every clip, every breakdown instantaneously. I don't have to spend hours and hours. I can spend that time now evaluating their personnel. I can evaluate their sets. I can evaluate their defense and, and strengths, weaknesses. I have so much more time to actually assess instead of provide the data. So uh, as a coach, it's really changed how we coach. And then it also is a great tool for our players. We can show them analytics uh, to prove to them why their role is what it is and show them all of those different pieces and how our offense and defense work and how that all fits together. So it, it, it's definitely, it's, the game is changing. In, in a good way. Chris Hill. Well, I'm going to just piggyback off the synergy, the film, the access to the film. Uh, well, hopefully, Corey, you ain't watching no Whitewater film because we had a, a rough year last year. <laughs> to point that out. So you won't be watching any Whitewater film from last year. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> but uh, the, the talk about the film part of the access to a synergy, you know, I think it allows us to, you know, the, the break down film and show our guys to help them improve. You know, it, it synergy goes as far as, hey, you're shooting five percent from, you know, you're very poor at one dribble to the left, two, you know, off coming off ball screens, catching shoots, just catching and catching shoot shots. So you're able to help guys improve, you know, and show them where they need to improve by having the access to that film and, and things like that, instead of watching the VHS tape, you know, you can go directly say, you know, let's, I want to concentrate on uh, our defense or press possessions. You don't have to watch a whole film and cut it up. You can go straight to press, <laughs> click a button, and they, and they break it down for you. So I think just the, the film access to be able to help uh, us as coaches to prepare and to be able to help our, you know, our student athletes to help them become better basketball players and understand on why their roles are the way they are, like Corey uh, talked about, you know. So I think that the film access, the synergy, what it does, and the analytics of the game, we're able to help our players. Uh, I think that's huge. Thanks for that, everybody. Uh, all, all insightful answers. Um, so uh, we like to share this question uh, just before we're closing in the podcast. Uh, so Bushman, we're going to come to you first. Uh, um, and then Coach Corey, GL, and, and, and C. Hill. Um, what was your most and least favorite moments from the last dance? Wow. So my most favorite moment was just kind of like, the feelings I, I got, I guess, watching some of the stuff that I remember growing up with, because so many of these moments were like just historical moments in my life. You know, I graduated from high school in 93. They, these things were like live, like exciting stuff going on in our lives. And like Jordan going to the, I mean, the Sox and just everything that was happening. It was just so, so just reliving those moments was my greatest moment. Negative moments would be that I feel at times it's still that show still kind of like it made I don't know personally made Pip look kind of 
like you know bad life pippen and i feel like he there's so much more to that story and so much more to him than what maybe was portrayed in that short episode and things like that but on a whole i mean to watch that much history and to not have any basketball going on and be able to watch some like air jordan doing some old school stuff I was, I, it was fun for me i, I, was, I was excited about the last You know, I I know we've talked about this before, but I think uh, just the fact of seeing Michael Jordan again, right, and and, and seeing how great those teams were. Uh, so my favorite moment is, is seeing Jordan and his greatness. Obviously, the Dennis Rodman stories are great. There's nothing, you know, you hear Dennis Rodman, that's it's, it's something else. My least favorite, uh, and also seeing the behind the scenes with Phil Jackson. So I got like six, seven favorites. So it's, it's hard to pick one. Um, I could have went and watched that for a hundred episodes. Uh, and then my least favorite, I, I think I, I, with you, Coach Bushman, I, I, I was upset kind of how Scotty was portrayed a little bit. However, some of it he created himself. Not, you know, it, it's almost unimaginable as a player not going into the game, telling your coach, no, I'm not going in. You know, it's pretty selfish uh, as a player. And it also takes a lot of confidence in yourself too. Um, I know if my coaches call me into the game, yes, sir, I'm taking my warm-ups off or whatever I got on, I'm going, I'm running. Um, and you make that the NBA playoffs in the game, six or seven, whatever it was, uh, even even something a little bit even crazier to fathom. Um, but my least favorite was that it ended. I, I would love to see uh, the next whatever 90 episodes. I'd like to see Jordan play some poker uh, with his guys and Ahmad Rashad losing every shot. So... Uh, I would love all that, um, but yeah, my least favorite is it ended. Um, I don't, I don't have any least favorite moments. I mean, I lived it and I loved watching it all over again. Um, favorite moment I think would be Jordan's relationship with all the other guys, the security guards, and and being able to see that that regardless of how. Um, how much adulation he received from his public. Uh, he was down down to earth enough to have relationships with uh, the security guards. And hell, his best friend was a limo driver waiting for somebody else that ended up picking him up when he came in for his news conference and um, gave him a ride into Chicago and a lifelong friend. And, and I think that says a lot about the personality and the person. Uh, Chris Hill. Sorry for my least favorite. My least favorite was was the the Scotty, the the part when he declined to go in the game and to see him double down on it. <laughs> that was that was my least favorite. <laughs> I, I thought, you know, I, I don't think it portrayed him in, in the best, but it you know it happened, and they continued playing. It, it speaks volumes of what kind of. Coach Phil was to be able to rally that team back together and those guys that move on and continue winning basketball games. So that was my least favorite to see Scotty do what he did and double down on it still to this day. So that's my, that my least favorite. My favorite uh, part was uh, to see Michael, how he let Rodman kind of be Rodman and then snatch him and be able to bring him back into the mix. You know, I think uh, 
you know, playing with some, you know, you played with my friend Ed McCants. And he was our Dennis Rodman, I would say. And I think one of the biggest things what a lot of, you know, teammates don't do, I think they do uh, of allowing guys to be themselves, but also bringing them in to be a part of the team and bringing them back in when they get lost. And I think that was, it was, it was great to see Michael, you know, see him do that. You know, they always see him take the, you see him take the last shot, make the big game winning shots, see him sick. But to see him let Rodman kind of be himself, but then, you know, when it was time to, you know, go get him and bring him back in, he was that teammate to go, you know what, hey, Rodman, let's go. Let's, you know, let's get back on task and let's win these basketball games. So I think that was that was interesting to see. That was my favorite part, uh, just to point out something. Yes, sir, the last dance. Uh, I'll say my favorite part was uh, – being able to see uh, those moments in practice uh, where Michael is just drilling his teammates and, and being a tough competitor on his teammates, not just against you know the opponents that he play against, but to be that way in practice also, which a lot of us as coaches, we're looking for that competitiveness in our players and for our players to kind of drive each other like that. Uh, so I, that, that was my favorite moment. That, I love, absolutely love seeing, uh, seeing that. And just to see, uh, to see that up close, because we never got to see it. We just got to see his competitiveness when he's battling against opponents. But to see that in practice and to see also the way his teammates responded to that. I, I remember Horace Grant talking about, man, this is the greatest player to ever play the game and the way he's practicing. If he's practicing this way, what do you think I got to do? Uh, so just to hear that and to see that, it was like, wow, that's, that's amazing. Uh, and like I said, I was a big Michael Jordan fan like like a lot of you guys were. So my days at GB and, and, and since Chris Hill is on here, the times or the days or the week that we're going to play against UWM, you know, I, I would jack up a few players, grab them up by their jersey. Uh, and, and Coach Shishelsh, uh he probably can find this out with his assistant coach um, that he's coaching with now who used to be our manager at Green Bay. He'll tell you some stories in our practices where we would get physical and I would be, you know, I would be up in guys' faces and, and you know, using, you know, Chris Hill's name and, and Ed McCants and Joe Tucker and all these guys, Boo Davis, uh, talking about, you know, you know <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, saying, just saying these guys' names and saying, you're going you gonna to be, you know, you gonna let Chris Hill come off that ball screen like that? No, I want you to pop him with a bow. And just things like that because it was it was really <laughs> it was I was just really competitive. But to see that was I, I thought I, I just loved it. Least favorite moment? Uh I don't even know if I could find the least favorite moment in that video because these were all the things that 
we heard about or like thought about or guessed, but we never got to see that. And I, I think that was a real treat to have that. Um, so anyways, that's the second segment. Uh, hopefully you guys that are listening in, uh, especially the garbage man, I got to give a shout out to the garbage man. They said that they listened to every episode since we started back uh, 15 weeks ago. Uh, they listen to every episode on, on their routes, and it says it kind of helps their routes go faster. So shout out to the garbage man uh, here in Kenosha that listen to the podcast every week. We appreciate you guys. That's the second segment. We're going to come back with the closing segments to hear from Coach Dan Bushman, as well as uh, ex-Division One and professional player Chris Hill with some closing remarks. This is the best damn podcast in the land. I'm your host, Brandon Morris. Welcome to the You Can Be More podcast. Uh, this is the third segment, and this is one of my favorite segments of all segments because the closing remarks comes from uh, the wise, wise words uh, of these coaches, ex-players, uh, where they always give some tips for our young up-and-coming players that are looking to play at the next level. And it's always amazing to hear everyone's lived experiences bundled up into about uh, 90 seconds uh, of advice to, to you young folks, as well as some advice to those parents uh, that listen to the podcast and are asking for that information and wanting that feedback as, to far, as far as what does it take for my child to play at the next level? What should they be doing or what should they be looking for? So, Bushman, you've coached for 16 years and you've seen uh, a number of players uh, who didn't play at the next level, which was high school, or maybe they did but didn't play at the college level. What's some advice you can give to some youngsters that are looking to play at the next level? This is going to sound real simplistic. And this is for our young kids, like real young. When I was young, and I'm not in any way, like I played a little high school, not much beyond that. I, I guess my 5'9 self was going to go to coaching real quick. But with that being said, like dribbling a ball to school. Back in the day, like all I would do would take a basketball and I would dribble to school and back every day. My walk to school was dribbling the basketball, both hands back and forth, getting to the point where it was so natural that that was not my issue. I had to think about the logistics of the game and all the other things that, that, that you can learn that coaches can help you with. But like ball handling, that's a skill and, and a basic thing like walking to school with your ball. And I know like right now during quarantine, there's some kids who are gonna lose their step from other people because some people are choosing right now to get out at a hoop. I'm not telling you to not social distance or whatever you need to do but get at a hoop, shoot how many shots a day, dribble the dang ball. You are going to be a better player when all this comes down if you just stay active and continue to do that stuff. A lot of you high school coaches know a heck of a lot more that, or obviously players like Chris who's taken it and brand into the next level. But I think that's just some basics, just basic things, playing ball. We can help correct things, but we need activity. We need kids who are willing that are willing to get off Minecraft and come on and play <laughs> some basketball. Thanks for that, Coach Bushman. Uh, 16 years at the middle school level here in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Uh, 
uh, Lincoln Middle School. Uh, Coach GL, uh, just something, some advice for parents or for players that are looking to play at the next level. Uh, I would uh, make this comment for, for kids and for their parents. Um, you know, I'm a high school coach, so obviously, listen, you know, high school coaches have your best interests at heart. Um, and if you, if you need a second opinion uh, on that, talk to guys like Chris Hill. Find somebody like that, somebody, uh, uh, Brandon Morris, somebody in your community that has done it before, knows what it takes, that can give you a real honest opinion that you can believe in because it's, it's unbiased. And um, if you find yourself as a parent or as a kid in that situation, seek that person out. Thank you for that, Coach. Uh, Coach Shoshosh. You know, I know we've covered this a couple of times in in our time when our 15th podcast, by the way, BMO, 15, man, that's crazy. <laughs> uh, you know, as a parent, one of the first things I ask is what they think of their high school coach, right? And why do I ask that? I want to see if they're going to undermine a high school coach. Because people don't realize high school coaches aren't making, this is not their living. And so as a parent, if you can badmouth a coach that's really given their time, if they, if they averaged out their time uh, working with these kids and doing what's best for the team, uh, they're not, they're, they're losing money. You guys are donating money to your own programs. And so when I look at that and if, if a parent can badmouth somebody that's really volunteering to spend all this time with their son or daughter, uh, to me, that's a big turnoff quickly, uh, in the recruiting process, because they can do that to their high school coach, they're going to do it to the college coach, so on and so forth. So as a parent, it's important to, to support your son or daughter be there for them, care about their success, um, and just cheer them on. You're not the coach. Um, you have entrusted this coach to be that. And then as players, uh, I actually ask the high school coach what they think of said player. That's the first person I call when I'm recruiting a player uh, because they see them every day. They have the relationship with that player better than anyone else. You know, Brandon, uh, GL, you know, you, you guys are guys that I would call and say, hey, this kid's from Kenosha, what do, what do you hear? You know, what do you know? So it's so important to do that as a recruiter um, because if the kid has parents that aren't on board and then the kid's not, not coachable, they're not going to last very long. It doesn't matter how talented you are, you will not last very long at the next level, whatever that level might be. Thanks for that, Coach. Uh, so that just came from assistant coach, Coach Shoshik, uh from St. Norbert's. Uh, now, I know, Chris Hill, you mentioned in the very beginning of the podcast, the first segment, that there's no pressure as a Chicago basketball player. Uh, but you guys are both coaching at the, at the same level. And that was an excellent answer from uh, Coach Shoshik, St. Norbert's. Uh, so the recruiting could depend on your answer that you give right now. <laughs> so, uh, Coach Hill, 
what's some advice you give to some young folks that are looking to play at the next level or as well as their parents? Uh, well, I'll start off with the kids. Uh, I think, you know, find out what you're good at and what you're not so good at on the court and just, you know, repetition and doing both of those things. I think, uh, you know, at our level, Division Three, uh, I think, you know, the successful teams, those kids have improved over the four years. You know, Division Three teams, that's really good, usually junior and senior type teams, and those kids have developed. Uh, and I think developing those guys are, are, are the simplistic things that Coach talked about, Coach Bushman, you know, just ball handling, making shots. And so I would dive into that more is just, you know, being able to catch and shoot. You know, you'd be surprised on how many guys can't catch and knock down shots at a high percentage. You know, simple things. And so, you know, when we tell a kid, I think it's it's part of the era we in too with, you know, with all the workouts. You see everybody, you know, in and out, you know, Euro and practicing all these different moves. When I tell a kid, when you watch, you know, go watch some college basketball in Division One and see guys just catching and shooting, coming off, being able to come off a downstream, you know, one dribble pool, you know, being able to come off, you know, I'm a point guard, being able to come off a ball screen, teaching kids how to read ball screens on the defender. You know, is a guy, is your, is your man offensive guys, he's rolling off as he's popping. Can you read the third defender off the corner? You know, cause you know, if he's rolling, he's helping, you know, most coaches say pack the paint. Can you read that, that next, you know, guy in the corner? Can you get him the ball? You know, making pocket passes. You know, I think doing those basic things are going to be key for some of these players, you know, trying to play the next level. And so that would be something I would key on as far as development and, and, and something that these guys have to key on instead of all the different, you know, stuff they see on, you know, Instagram, you know, and all these workouts. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and parents, you know, it says keep it simple, you know, let your kid, we talked about pressure, you know, did I feel any pressure? And I think the reason, one of the reasons why I didn't harp on it, but, you know, I didn't have my dad trying to live his, his basketball and hopes and dreams through me. You know, I didn't have my mom yelling at the refs and my coach that uh, coach Corey talked about uh, letting, you know, the high school coach who's not getting paid any money, <laughs> He's volunteering his time, coach. And so there was no pressure from my parents. And so I would tell a parent, you know, let your son or your daughter uh, be who they are. Uh, let them develop, you know, uh, encourage them, you know, and, you know, simple things. You know, you want to you wanna help them? Get out there and rebound for them. Make sure your son, you know, gets some shots up. You know, you want to do that? You know, don't don't pay for them. Don't pay for them to go and have somebody. You go rebound for them. You know, you get yourself some cardio. You know, I think, <laughs> you know, and depending on how good of a shooter he is, you might be running around a lot. <laughs> I think as a parent, I would just tell those parents to uh, encourage, you know, instill, in, you know, confidence within their kids and, 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 and let them grow as young men and young women you know, on and off the basketball court, because that's what's most important. Uh, you know, the young men and women, they grow up and, you know, those those bad habits will leak into, into life. So I think being simple, 
uh, harping on those things and, and, and encouraging and let those kids be kids. Appreciate that, Coach Hill. Uh, so thank you guys for all those excellent answers. Uh, I'm going to try and sum all that up uh, for a closing remark. I would say, one, obviously, it was repeated, just being simple uh, and taking care of the basic fundamentals. Make sure you, you, you young folks are taking care of the basic fundamentals of basketball, perfecting those before you get to all the extra things like uh, Coach Hill mentioned, the Euro and all the uh, in and out drills. Basic fundamentals, catching passing, dribbling, and shooting. Take care of those first. Um, also heard just, you know, on the parent side, letting your letting your kids, uh, you know, just be them. Uh, uh, another coach mentioned, Coach Shoshoshi mentioned, letting the coach coach. Uh, that's what they're there for. Um, so all the points that, that, that the coaches made tonight are, are pretty simple and they are in the control of the player as well as the parent. And I think if, if we do that, basketball will continually be left in, in good hands. Um, yeah, I thank you guys for that. Uh, Coach Bushman, thank you for joining the podcast Impromptu uh, filling in for our West Side guys uh, from Chicago. Hopefully we will get Will Bynum on at a later date, as well as Boo Davis at a later date, my man Martell Bailey, as well as Luther Boyd and Adrian Schaefer. Uh, we're missing all four of those Chicago basketball players that played Division One basketball. But shout out to my man, Coach Chris Hill, who, who stepped on the scene. This young man sold out the United Center as a high school player. Him and his teammates uh, playing against uh, uh, Mark or uh, D. Brown, right? Uh, Martell and Sid Banks. Mar okay, Martell and Sid Banks. Oh, and Chris, that's a quick story because you had got to see uh, said Banks uh, two years before I did but when I got there there we doing the film study and they're talking about this lefty from Chicago and he's playing on UIC and he just fills it up fills it up and I'm watching the film and I'm like okay he's not doing anything special cool coach hey I got him let me run some I'm gonna watch some more film we, you know, take the drive down to Chicago two days early. We kicking it, laying back, chilling, watching more film. And then I see this little skinny guy come out onto the court with his hood on. He's just shooting nonchalant. Cool, I got him. Man, within two minutes, and he had about nine points, all threes, running off them screens on the baseline. Big Armand and uh, 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 the other big fella. Moving on them screens, psh, I had to make a switch quickly. <laughs> two minutes, two minutes, nine points uh, for a guard and college basketball. Man, that was all the way bad. That was only, what, three possessions? Yeah, it was they a, called three deep. They had <laughs> three of them. It was getting two bigs in, on the block. Yep. He just 
like I, I think as a kid he played a lot of it. Had to. About tag and stuff like that. And that's all he did. He just ran circles around those guys, making that figure eight. Yep. And then once you got nicked on the screen, it was illegal screens too, which you beat. Yep. He was knocking by the time he was getting out there, closing out, he was already in shooting motion, baby. <laughs> he was knocking it down. And that's probably why you seen him in warm ups with his hoodie on, just kind of nonchalant because he was saving all his energy for game time for us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So shout out to you guys. Uh, as always, our bench players who are here, Coach Corey Shashelshik, coaching at uh, St. Norbert's, assistant coach, St. Norbert, uh, and then our head coach, uh, Coach Greg Leach, Kenosha Bradford. Appreciate all of you guys for, for, for jumping on the podcast and just sharing your wisdom through your lived experiences. We appreciate you. This is Brandon Morris. Hopefully, you can be more podcast. Remember, you can be more.